You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Another example of the Prophet's loyalty is what Ibn Hisham has narrated in his seerah. He states that in the Fath of Mecca, the year of the conquest of Mecca, and Mecca is the hometown of the Prophet the Ansar said amongst themselves privately, أَتَرَوْنَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ إِذَا فَتَحَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ أَرْضَهُ they will they said to themselves don't you think that if now the prophet has victory in mecca and it is his homeland he will go back to mecca and consider mecca as his base the prophet was standing on the mount of safa supplicating to allah when he overheard them saying something so when the Prophet finished his dua, he told them, what did you say to the Ansar? They said, nothing, never mind. The Prophet three times insisted on them, no, tell me what you said. So they finally told him that we're discussing amongst ourselves that if you achieve victory in Mecca, you, will you stay here? Look at the loyalty of the Prophet. Now if it was someone else, yes, why not? I used you in Medina, I'm now powerful. I'll go back to Mecca and Mecca is my headquarters. The Prophet told them, Allah, never. I seek refuge in God in doing something like that, which means it's inappropriate. Al-Mahya Mahyakum. The last several years I lived with you. Wal-Mamatu Mamatukum. And I will die with you. That's loyalty. The Prophet recognized the efforts of the Ansar. You gave me a refuge here in Medina, you supported me. Now just because I've gained victory, you think I'll abandon you and go back to my hometown of Mecca? No, I lived with you, I'll die with you. That is an act of the loyalty of the Prophet He is loyal to his supporters, doesn't just forget them and abandon them. So this is uh, one example, any, any thoughts on this? See, it would have been inappropriate for the Prophet to relocate to Mecca, even though Mecca is holy, holier than Medina. It, it houses the uh, Kaaba, the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the Prophet as a leader is making a statement here that I have to be loyal to my people. So here's one example of the Prophet's loyalty. Another example of the Prophet's loyalty is that at the Battle of Badr, the Prophet prohibited the Muslim fighters from killing a man by the name of Abu al-Bukhturi ibn Hisham ibn al-Harith. The Prophet said, Abu al-Bukhturi, even if you see him in the battlefield, don't kill him. Why? The Prophet clearly made a command to his army. Any one of you meets Abu al-Bukhturi, do not kill him. Yes, he was good in Mecca. So Ibn Hisham comments, he says the reason why the Prophet prohibited the Muslims from killing Abu al-Bukhtari is because in Mecca 
even though he was not a mu'min, he stayed as a mushrik, so he's deviant and corrupt in his beliefs, but he was the most honorable of those Meccans and when he was in Mecca, he never hurt the Prophet, he never harassed the Prophet and he never even negatively mentioned the Prophet, he didn't, he did not fight the Prophet in any way and in fact he was instrumental in uh, breaking the boycott of Quraysh against Bani Hashim, remember the three-year boycott? He was like no this is not right, I'm not going to abide by the laws of this boycott, I'll do business with them, that's fine. So the Prophet did not forget this goodness that he had and so he told the Muslims at Badr, even if you see him in the battlefield, he's here with the mushrikeen, do not kill him because in Mecca he didn't slander me, he didn't fight me even though he stayed as a mushrik. See that's the loyalty of the Prophet Yes brother. Um, I have two questions, um, the first is about this what would he be doing at Badr on the side of the mushrikeen if he's still you know, neutral? First of all, in terms of his aqidah, he was not neutral. He rejected Islam. He stayed as a mushrik and he defended polytheism. But he didn't fight the Prophet, he just left him alone. At Badr, we can conclude from the Prophet's orders that he was there either to support shirk because he does believe in shirk even though he doesn't actively want to kill the prophet but sometimes as they say you just want to make your group seem stronger or he was compelled to come because if he stayed behind in Mecca he'd be ridiculed ah you weak you're a coward you're, you're betraying us so there were some mushriks by the way who came to bed because they were compelled but they did not wish to fight the Prophet. By the way like Abbas, like Abbas the uncle of the Prophet, he, he came to the battle but the Prophet basically told the Muslims let, when he was a captive, the Prophet said free him, then it was explained to the Muslims, he himself said, he said I was forced to come, I did not want to come but I had no choice but to come but yes I did not actively fight any Muslim but I just had to show my presence, so maybe Abu al-Bukhtari just came to bed to show his presence, there's no indication that he was actually fighting. Another example of the loyalty of the Prophet is his loyalty to al-Najashi, Najashi who was the king in Habasha, Abyssinia was known to be very good to the Muslims and he gave them a refuge over there, he gave them asylum and he treated them very well. So basically Ja'far al-Tayyar, the brother of Imam Ali when he returned from Habasha year 7, this was around the time of Khaybar, he told the Prophet should I tell you about the Najashi? The Prophet said yes. Ja'far says one day I went to see the Najashi and I saw him sitting humbly on the ground without his royal clothes, without the crown, without the fancy robes and he was just on the ground. So I told him Najashi you know this is unusual, I don't see you in your royal outfit, what's going on? 
Najashi told Ja'far that we have a verse in the Injil, in the Bible, that states if Allah gives you a gift, if Allah grants you a blessing, then you should thank Allah for that blessing by showing humbleness. So right now I'm on the ground thanking Allah for a gift that He's giving me to show my humbleness. So Ja'far told him, what is this gift that you're thanking Allah for? And Najashi says, My messengers tonight informed me that your cousin Muhammad has achieved victory in the battle of Badr. And I am thanking Allah for that. <laughs> Look at the Iman of Najashi. That's why many of our ulama believe he was a mu'min and he believed in Islam, but he didn't publicly show it. Look at his uh, khudu' and tawadu'. He is thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah gave Prophet Muhammad victory at Badr. Okay. After hearing this, the Prophet made it a point to honor Najashi whenever he could. And so one day, Najashi sent a delegation of Christian priests. They went to see the Prophet in Medina. So the Prophet got up to serve them. His companion said, no Ya Rasulullah, let us serve them. Why do you have to serve them by yourself? The Prophet said, no, they were good to us. When you were there in Habasha, they were good to us. So I want to personally honor them. I want to personally serve them. So the Prophet got up by himself and he served them. See, the Prophet's loyal. He does not forget the goodness of Najashi and his people. You were good to us, I will go out of my way to do the unusual. This is an official delegation, I have my companions to serve you, but I will serve you. I will give you water, I will give you food. That's the loyalty of the Prophet Not everyone does that. And humbleness, absolutely. You're now the greatest messenger, you're the greatest creation of Allah. You're Muslim in the end, they're not Muslim, they're Christians. But because of humbleness and loyalty, you serve them that way. So this is a beautiful feature of the Prophet Another beautiful example of the wafa, of the loyalty of the Prophet Imam al-Sadiq narrates this hadith. He says during Jahiliyyah, once the Prophet visited a man in Jahiliyyah, he went to his house and that man honored the Prophet. He gave him, let's say, you know, food or something, water. So when the Prophet was sent as a messenger and now he has a community, he's powerful, they went to that man and they told him, look, during the Jahiliyyah days, didn't the Prophet come and be your guest and basically you honored him? He said, yes, um, I did honor him. They told him, well, that man is now a Prophet, the one whom you honored in Jahiliyyah. He's now a Prophet, he has a high standing. In other words, go and get something out of him. <laughs> That's what they were telling him. So he came, he came to the Prophet and he told him, Ya Rasulullah, do, do you know who I am? The Prophet said, who are you? He said, I am the person who on so-and-so day, so-and-so place, you came to my house and I gave you food. The Prophet told him, Marhaban bik, welcome, sell me, ask. Ya Allah, what do you want? <laughs> 
the, he's, he told him, I want thamanin dha'ina. I want 80 goats, sheep. One hadith states 200. I want 200 sheep from you. Look, one sheep was a lot of money back then. The guy asked for 200 and with the shepherd too. Okay, he's making a big request. The Prophet lowered his head. He's thinking, you know, where am I going to get all this wealth from? Then the Prophet told his companions, give him what he wants. Give him the 200 sheep. Then the Prophet, look at the akhlaq. Now you could say the Prophet got disturbed. This guy's greedy. He basically got 200 sheep out of the Prophet and the Prophet will say something negative like look at this greedy guy. Bil'aq, look at what the Prophet said. The Prophet told his companions after the guy left, ما كان على هذا الرجل أن يسأل سؤال عجوز بني إسرائيل. The Prophet said, how come this man didn't make the request of the old woman of Bani Israel? So they told him, Ya Rasulullah, what's the story of that? So he told them the story. So if you're familiar with the story of this old woman, uh, to make it short, Prophet Musa السلام, had to look for the remains of Prophet Yusuf. They were looking for the remains and the bones and basically his body. And a long story uh, that's mentioned in the Quran why they had to find the taboot and there was an old woman who only knew where the uh, janazah, the body of Prophet Yusuf was. She was the only woman in Bani Israel who knew that. So finally Prophet Musa came to his attention that she knows. So he came and he told her that please tell us. She said, I'm not going to tell you for free. There's going to be a price for it. Tayyib, what do you want? <laughs> She told him, I am old, I want two things from you. If you want me to tell you where Prophet Yusuf is buried. Number one, ask God to make me young. <laughs> Number two, ask God to put me with you in paradise. Yalla, grant me these two and then I will tell you. So, Prophet Musa, he was reluctant. The hadith states he didn't really like her request. It's too much. But in the end, he accepted because there was an order from Allah. You have to find that uh, body of Prophet Yusuf. So the Prophet is basically saying that you, this man, now that you came to request something from me, at least request something like the Ajuz did of Bani Israel to be with me in heaven. At least something big like that. 200 sheep, okay, what's the big deal? They'll die and you'll use, it's, it's going to be over one day. See, instead of the Prophet putting him down and saying, look at this greedy guy. He got out of me 200 sheep, that's so much. He's like, why didn't he ask for more? <laughs> he basically didn't get that much, nothing compared to the Ajus of Bani Israel. He could have made a bigger request. Be with me in paradise or something like the impossible, like, like she did. Make me young again. <laughs> he young. Yeah, he did. He asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and she became young. Shabba. Yes. Allah gave her back her youth. <laughs> so not just Zulaikha in history, we have hadiths about that. That old lady also uh, regained her youth. What's her name? I don't remember if uh, her name has been mentioned. She's referred to as the Ajuz of Bani Israel. <laughs> so two ladies, yes, who have, her, who have their youth restored. Finally, and we'll conclude the class tonight, the final example about the wafa. 
of the Prophet And this by the way is mentioned in Bukhari. Bukhari mentions that there was a black man or a black woman from Africa probably. She would um, basically clean the masjid, like you know sweep it, not vacuum it but sweep it with a broom. <laughs> Yeknus al-Masjid, because today when you say Yeknus, vacuuming. <laughs> so Yeknus uh, back then is to sweep it. Famata, this person or this lady died. The Prophet asked, where is she? This lady who would sweep the Masjid. He was told that she died, she passed away. Now imagine if today a janitor dies in one of the institutions. Do people really care? Maybe a lot of people don't care. The Prophet rebuked his companions, he told them why didn't you tell me earlier that she died or he died, the janitor, show me where he's buried. The Prophet went on his uh, grave and he prayed, he did a salah on his grave to honor this man or to honor this woman. So remember in Arabia she's, first of all the hadith said she could have, it, it seems that she was a woman, Secondly, she was black, she was seen as a second class citizen. Number three, what she did was, you know, a low job in the eyes of many people, a janitor. But the Prophet has wafa. She came to the masjid, she would sweep the floor, I'm not going to forget her now. Despite his busy schedule, the Prophet went to her grave and he did a salah on her grave. That's the Prophet and that's his loyalty. I've seen, believe me, my dear brothers and sisters, I've seen people in leadership positions. MashaAllah, they have power, some of them are famous. But I've seen them how they treat people like a janitor, having no dignity for them. And if they become ill, if something happens to them, immediately they put them out of their memory. Khalas, I don't know you anymore. Not Rasulullah. Rasulullah really had that humanity. 